0: Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the Pot of Thunder and Rock and Roll. And last fall marked the end of an era for James Bond. No Time to Die is Daniel Craig's last movie as British Secret Agent 007. It was released after a long delay due to the pandemic. But as the movie said in the end credits, as it always does, James Bond will return. So who's going to take on one of the most iconic characters and movie franchises in Hollywood history? That's just one of the things we discuss in today's special James Bond cast. I'm a huge James Bond fan. I've assembled a cast of other huge Bond fans, including Don Callis, who's been on the show many times, Brad Gilmore, who's also a talk as Jericho alumni and host of his own podcast, Back From the Future. He's just written a new book about the history of the James Bond movie franchise. It's called Bond, James Bond, exploring the shaken and stirred history of Ian Fleming's 007. It's available now on Amazon. Also, we've got Michael Boyd. He's a scholarly writer, about the James Bond character, Movies and History. He's the one who originally contacted me about doing a podcast about Bond. He's also from Winnipeg, like Don and I are. So the four of us are breaking down the 60-year history of the James Bond movie franchise. You'll hear how and when we each discovered Bond personally in our lives. We're discussing who played Bond the best out of the six actors who portrayed him, Sean Connery, George Lazenby, Roger Moore, Timothy Dalton, Pierce Brosnan, and, of course, Daniel Craig. We're talking about Bond girls, Bond villains, Bond theme songs, Bond gadgets, Bond cars, the surrounding cast of Bond characters. we got tons of trivia and behind-the-scenes stories about the making of the films, and we'll get into the campiness of the early movies, the evolution of the character and the scripts, and, of course, our favorite films in the franchise and why we love them. I'll even share our combined top ten list at the end of the show. So here we go. It's Bond, James Bond, right now on Jericho. Talk is Jericho. So uh, one of the the topics uh, that we haven't discussed on Talk is Jericho, that's been something I've been interested in my whole life, of course, is, is 007, James Bond. And I believe this show has been a long time coming. It was actually spurred by Mike, Michael Boyd from Winnipeg, Don Callis from Winnipeg, Brad Gilmore from Texas, but Mike, how did how did you get in touch with me, and how did we start talking about this? And
1: when? Uh, it was about two years ago, this February. Yeah. Wow! Um, <laughs> so the new Bond movie was about to come out. Uh, this was pre-pandemic, <laughs> right? And I sent out a tweet. I'm a big fan of yours, Chris. Been listening to the podcast since the beginning. Thought it was a perfect topic for you. You always have eclectic. Topics, Sure. And and you responded. And I remember exactly where I was when I got the response. So we started talking and then like, oh, they're pushing it back because of this pandemic thing. And oh, it's not really in North America yet. And it's been seriously two years of imagining what this movie is going to be like and what the conversation with you could be like. But
0: yeah. Well, yeah, because we were talking about no, no Time to Die, which was originally... Supposed to be out, like you said, in 2020. And so it kept getting pushed back. And then I kept getting random texts from you and I forgot to put your name in. So for a while I was like, hey, man, <laughs> what's up, dude? And then finally I had to bite the bullet and go, what's your name again? Just tell me. But this just also fit in because Don Callis uh, mentioned at one point too that you were a huge Bond fan. And we'll get into just how. And then Brad Gilmore, who we did the podcast about Back to the Future about a year or so ago. You have a new book out about Bond as well. So all of us are tied in here discussing, you know, James Bond. So what I want to do is, is Don, first of all, and we'll go through all of us here. How did you get into James Bond and why are you such a big James Bond
2: fan? I think um, I don't remember the first Bond movie I saw. I just remember being into them when I was a kid. And then someone, when I was in my 20s, gave me for Christmas the full VHS library of every James Bond film. I'd gotten a little bit out of it during the kind of Roger Moore years. And and of course, the Connery stuff predated me. But I kind of watched the whole library, which I think took us up just past Goldeneye at that point, and kind of, you know, decided what I liked and didn't like and whatnot. And then, of course, kind of have had many debates with people not on podcasts about what my thoughts and feelings are. And, and I kind of have It's interesting because when you said to do our top 10 list of kind of Bond films, I'm like, it's almost like comparing eras in wrestling. It's like Nick Bockwinkle was great, but back then they didn't have the production values. So Mm -hmm. I kind of look at some of, as an example, the Daniel Craig stuff, and I go, well, I wonder how some of the Connery movies, if they had the advantage or maybe disadvantage of of having those production values, would fare. What I have found is that some of the older Bond movies – hold up actually to me very well yes so um and then over chris like it's kind of one of those bond things have been like magnum pi for me oddly enough it's like it's something i watch when i want to escape it doesn't matter that i've seen them all 20 times you know some of them i i've only watched probably five because they were terrible but uh <laughs> but the ones i like i like and i watched them over i was just watching uh the lazenby film the other day again so they never really gets old for me and i I find something new every time I watch them because I'm like, oh, that was interesting the way they did that. So,
0: and Mike, what's your background, James? Because you have a lot of kind of experience on a university level, almost.
1: Yeah, so I didn't start writing scholarly articles on Bond until quite recently, but I've been a fan since I was a kid. Uh, I'm a little younger than you and Don Brad. I'm guessing at your age, but I'm a little older than you. I think you guys will remember pre VCR—the only yeah. way you could watch. Old movies was if they happened to come on Saturday afternoon on one of the, the channels that you got. And it was probably Goldfinger that I first saw when I was like nine or 10. I host a podcast on fans and fan culture, and it's really interesting how people get into things. And it's usually somebody that they like or somebody they respect introduces them. And for me, it was a father figure. It wasn't my dad. My own dad only watches Ernest
3: movies. Uh, We don't bond over (laughs) film at all. Uh, That's the next episode. Let's talk about Ernest Scared Stupid.
1: He would be happy to come on and talk about that. Um, It was my friend's dad who was a single dad. He was a cop. He was cool. He introduced me to Indiana Jones and Monty Python and James Bond. Mm. And then I'm the type of guy, when I get into something, I kind of go in whole hog. I read as much as I can. In the pre-internet era, that meant scouring used bookstores for copies of the the James Bond novels and learning about spies. And then I found out that not three kilometers from my house in Oshawa, Ontario, Canada was the site of Camp X. And so I, I was actually there this summer. And what's Camp X? Camp X was the espionage training school for the Allies during World War II. Oh, right gotcha, on the gotcha. It's right on the border of Whippy and Oshawa on Lake Ontario. And it's, it, there's only a marker there now, but um, Fleming may have been there at some point. It's not clear. Uh, I understand.
2: Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, but mm-hmm. a man called Intrepid, Sir William Stevenson, originally from Winnipeg. Yes. Uh, some say Fleming based the books on... Fle-
1: Fleming, when, when asked, like, is there a real James Bond, he said, like, if you want a real James Bond... William Stevenson and Hmm. where I'm sitting right now in downtown Winnipeg, not three blocks away between us and the, um, the legislative building is a, is a statue to the man called intrepid. (laughs) There you go. It's Canada.
0: Now, Brad, you've written a a book uh, that's about to come out, Bond, James Bond, exploring the shaken and stirred history. Of Ian Fleming's 007. And we mentioned before, I'm sorry, they escaped me. What's the name of your Back to the Future book that we did? It's look? called
3: Back from the Future, Back from the Future. Which
0: is a, a great kind of a, a historical tome of all the Back to the Future movies. You've done the same for the
3: James Bond films now. What attracted you to Bond and, and, and to writing this book? Well, I mean, it, it was kind of similar to everybody else. I discovered it on a VHS tape that my dad had. I It was a literally a black VHS tape that had a purple label on it that said James Bond. And he had like <laughs> taped diamonds are forever off the television. I call it my Bond mitzvah. It was like the first movie that I got (laughs) to see uh, from James Bond. Like anybody, when you see James Bond as a young man, you think this is the coolest guy that ever lived. It was Sean Connery. He had the women, he had the cars, he had the gadgets, he was a secret agent. I dove right into it. I kind of found Bond the same time I found Back to the Future. So there are these two franchises of film that I loved my entire life. And so after I did the Back to the Future book, you know, we were talking about doing another one. I said, look, the only other thing I love much is Back to the Future of Pro Wrestling is James Bond. Then we kind of dove into it, my writing partner, Mike Kalinowski. And we wanted to do a very comprehensive talk about every movie, every era of Bond, and really try to cover the litany of it. So that's what we did in the book. And I've really been a fan ever since I found that VHS tape. And it's just never left me.
0: You know, it's interesting because for, for me, I discovered Bond as well, probably on TV seeing it. Because first thing, one of my first earliest memories is watching – uh, you only lived twice at my grandfather's house. He used to have a basement where you'd watch TV, and as we probably all did, and you, that old basement smell. And I vividly remember the string with the poison going down it. That one of the villains in early in the movie, and they put a string to her mouth, and the poison comes down to her mouth and drips on her lips, and she licks her lips and dies. And I was terrified of this to where every time I went to my grandparents' house on Strathcona Street for the Winnipeggers here, I was convinced, like I was terrified that I was going to get poisoned in my sleep by this string going down. I remember watching Halloween and that one didn't freak me out as much as the string with the poison. But then when VHS became a thing in the early 80s, all the Bond movies were readily available. And there wasn't like every movie back then, there was some really bad horror movies and maybe a few new releases and all the Bond's. So my cousins and I went through them all, which then led to the 80s when I was going to the movies every weekend. Of course, that's the Roger Moore era from For Your Eyes Only all the way to, what was his last one? His last one was... View to a Kill. View to a Kill. And then also two that was around the same time, Octopussy and Never Say Never Again, which was kind of the non-official Bond movie, The Return of Connery. I saw all of those in the theaters. So it's been part of my history. But like Don said, I kind of dropped out for a while which we can talk about as we go through all the different Bonds. But I think that they've done a really great job of drawing people back with the Daniel Craig films, which obviously have done billions of dollars of business. So I think, Don, you had a great point in talking about how the early movies still hold up. The newer movies have done a pretty good job of kind of taking Bond to a whole new global level. Let's talk about the different eras of Bond, because there's been... Brad, you can say, who's the six Bonds that have done them? You could probably rattle them off. We probably all can, but...
3: Sean Connery, George Lazenby, Roger Moore, Timothy Dalton, Pierce Brosnan, and Daniel Craig. There you go.
0: So we all know the Sean Connery era, and we can talk a lot about that. But the one thing I want to bring up right out of the gate is because we all had our top 10 lists. And Don had a great point. You can't go through everyone's top ten list. There's too many movies. So I kind of combined all of ours, and and I think Don's quote was this is a shit list. <laughs> one of them that's on there for all three of you guys that I've only seen once, probably 40 odd years ago, is on Her Majesty's Secret Service, the one and only Bond movie with George Lazenby. What makes that movie so good and why did George only get one crack at it if it was so good?
2: Go ahead, Don. I think it's a it's a good script. I think it shows a, I think maybe for the first time, I think, and they've, they've tried to do it in the most recent Craig movie and, and and in Casino Royale. It's the first time they've really seen a human side. Bond falls in love. Bond wants to get married. Bond goes shopping. It's like I'm expecting <laughs> if this were made now, they would have been at Bed Bath & Beyond. I mean, it's, it's almost, you kind of go, do you want to see this side of Bond? But it was the first time we saw that. Lazenby for me is interesting because as we get into talking about who the best bonds are, and for me, it's Sean Connery. And if someone else has another opinion, I will literally jump through the screen at you. Uh, I I don't think anyone touches Connery in terms of being able to do everything. But Lazenby is so interesting to me because I think he's been described as wooden, which I think if you've never acted and you're basically a model and they grab you and say, hey, do this, you got to adjust your expectations. I think he had some interesting things. I think he had a a human side to him that some Bonds didn't. I think that he fit the part. I think for me, fitting the part physically for me with Bond it's one of the reasons I didn't like Brosnan, Dalton, and Roger Moore. Because to me, they just physically didn't look like they could do much. Hmm. Um, Lazenby was like 6'2", 6'3", athletic looking. And you really wonder what would have happened had he had a chance to grow into the role. And and from what I understand, and and our guests would probably know a lot better, but it's like, basically, I think he was offered a five movie deal or something Mm -hmm. and his, his manager and he decided that... The woke culture of the 70s would not respond well to the James Bond and women and all that. So he decided it was a bad career move. Of course, it was a horrible career move. One that I, I read <laughs> recently that it. he's I read recently that he said it, he only regretted it the times he was broke. So um <laughs> and, and and him leaving, we got Roger Moore, which, you know, in some ways I think both from who Roger Moore was and also some of the scripts that Roger Moore was forced to embrace. I think was like maybe not the best time. And the other thing people forget when they criticize George Lazenby is he's following Connery. I mean, that's that's not the easiest thing in the world to do. So I think that's a great movie for all of those reasons. And it almost doesn't feel like a Bond movie. It just feels like a really cool movie. I tend to gravitate towards the ones with a little less on the gadgets and the invisible cars and things like that. So I liked it for that reason, too.
3: (laughs) I think that movie, as far as a one and done, you couldn't have asked for a better job from a guy who had never acted before. He had never had any acting job ever. He was just a male model from Australia who used to be a car salesman and literally was offered the job because he ran in Cubby Broccoli or Harry Saltzman office dressed in a suit that was made for Sean Connery that he stole from the tailor down the street. He stole the suit that was made for Connery, put it on, got his hair cut like him and ran in the office and said, I heard you're looking for James Bond. And then he got the role just off of that pure charisma, almost what Don was talking about. He looked apart. He looked like he could be James Bond. And yeah, he was all for those movies. And he said, I didn't want to be typecast as James Bond for the rest of my career, which is kind of ironic because it's the only thing anybody knows about him. (laughs) I actually got to interview Lazenby about, I don't know, maybe a month ago. A great late career interview. Uh, He was talking about all kinds of crazy stories, but he still today says that's the favorite thing that he's ever done in his career. And he does wish that he could go back and give it another try. Because I think with time... He could have been highly regarded as one of the better Bonds, but we really just didn't get to see much more than that.
1: I think so. There's kind of divided opinion in the in the scholarly circle on that film and even the fan culture on that film. If Connery had done Under Majesty's Secret Service, it would be everyone's favorite. And some people think mm. you know, Connery couldn't do the personal thing. I, I tend to fall in the first camp. I think of course if could. Connery had done this yeah. – this would have been everyone's could. favorite film because Con- it, it Connery wasn't acting sure. for 50 years yeah. and not be able to handle it. No. Absolutely. Academy award actor. Yeah. Sean, I mean, you just watch the man who would be King, but the stories of George Lazenby like a, he is an amazing follow on Twitter. But the pictures of him at the premiere, like he grew his hair out and he grew this big beard and he just doesn't look like Bond. Like It was really what Don said. It was that he embraced the counterculture movement, didn't think that Bond was going to survive, and he just looks out of place at the premiere. It's really interesting.
3: And because he was a model, they also thought him being James Bond, they said, well, you're a model. Are you like on the up and up? Are you into women? I mean, you're a male model. Do you even like girls? And they actually sent a prostitute to his hotel room to see and do kind of a check and see if he could handle the, the then manly duties of James Bond. So he, he was a really, he had a really interesting story.
0: Now let's talk a little about Connery. You now, Don, you actually have a great story about when you, uh, you met Sean Connery, you might be the only guy here that met one of the Bonds face to face.
2: I'm a guy who I've never been excited by celebrities. I always said there was like three celebrities that I would go up to. Cause I'm not a guy, Hey, can I get a photo? Can I get an autograph? I would never do that. But the, my three were Prince, George Michael, and Sean Connery. Well, I never met Prince or George Michael, but I was in a hotel in Toronto with my nephew and my friend Kelly, who Chris knows very well, and uh, just a bunch of Winnipeg guys kind of hanging out and were drinking in the lobby. All of a sudden, the someone runs out and goes, oh, my God, Sean Connery just... Sean Connery's in the bar. So I'm like, what? And so I guess he was in Toronto shooting a film. So we all jumped up because we're all Connery fans and we run into the bar. Where's Sean Connery? And they're like, he just went to the men's room at this time. Sean Connery, I'm guessing is in his sixties. He has his white Friar tuck hair, you know, and it's in a long ponytail. He'd grown it out. It was just a horrible look, but he's still Connery. And he had like the handlebar mustache. So we look and there's a men's room. So the three of us all follow him into the men's room. And he was, I think he'd been into the scotch a little bit. And so there's three urinals and uh, he's in the middle one, which is a bad move. And so, (laughs) and it behind, right by, it's a very cramped washer. Right behind the urinal, there's a stall. My one buddy goes into the stall. So he's looking at Connery's back. My nephew is on The left-hand urinal Connery's in the middle and I'm on the right so we got this guy surrounded so he kind of like he's half a little bit loaded he kind of looks to his left looks at my nephew looks at me realizes what's going on he goes what are you pushies looking at (laughs) which was was exactly what you want Sean Connery to say to you in a men's room and I just I had no comeback. I'm just like, oh my God, he talked to me. And then he just left. <laughs> he just well, walked he, out? He just yeah. walked out, nothing. We we like we probably should have said, like, hey, buy you a drink, but I mean, you're Zip. standing at a urinal.
3: <laughs> yeah. A weird.
2: <laughs> you had a great
3: point,
0: Don. We can discuss this for a bit. That Connery was the original Bond and people still relate to Connery. I I I have a real Affinity for Daniel Craig as well, but for the same reasons as you do, Don, he looks like he could kick somebody's ass. He looks pissed off and he looks mean and in English slang, he looks hard. And Connery looked that way even in Never Say Never Again when he was, gosh, I don't know how old he was, late fifties, almost sixty. He still is the epitome of a James Bond. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about the evolution because Bond starts out very serious and then gets very campy by the end of the seventies, which I think is one of the reasons why he left. What was the reason for that transformation, and how do you feel, you can start, Brad, how Connery was able to to morph with that? And were the Bond movies, Diamonds Are Forever, and those ones as good as Goldfinger as a result
3: of the campiness that started creeping in? Yeah, I think Connery, when he was cast, you, you couldn't have done a better job to start a series around one actor and Sean Connery and Doctor No from Russia with Love, Goldfinger, and even Thunderball—all of those are very grounded Bond films based in the writings of Fleming. Try to keep to it as much as possible. Even in From Russia with Love, you have the green Bentley that we always read about in the novels. Like they really tried to stick to it as much as possible. Sure, was there camp? Yeah, I mean you have the the silly Bond girl names and and some of the jokes and and things of that nature. It wasn't until though his fame. Really was the downfall, I think, of his bond. By the time uh, You Only Live Twice comes out, he's the biggest star in the world. When they went to go to Japan to film the movie, I mean, he couldn't even go to the restroom. There were, there were, similar to Don's story, there were people following him in the restrooms, taking pictures of him, relieving himself just because he was that big of a bond guy. And so that's when he stepped away. But as far as the progression of the movies, and Mike, you could jump in on this as far as the campiness, I think with any series, even if you look at Seinfeld, at the very beginning, it's a very small show about small situations. As the show continues, you almost kind of parody yourself after a while. And I think that's what happened, especially when he left after You Only Lived Twice, then came on to Her Majesty's Secret Service. Then he came back for Diamonds Are Forever and got the biggest paycheck in movie history, which was a million dollars at the time. And that movie, although it's fun, it's the first Bond movie I saw, it's really Weird and out there. I love it too, especially with Bruce Glover. Crispin Glover's dad is one of the, one of the villains, Mister Mr. Mr. Mister Kid. But I think that's kind of part of the problem. He looks uninterested. Like it starts yeah. off with him
1: looking for Blofeld and like really mean and stuff. And as the film progresses, it, it he's enjoying his paycheck and the tone of the film changes a bit. But I, I just think that Connery kind of became a prisoner of his own success. And mm. nobody seems to like playing Bond. Uh, like Connery definitely didn't like it. Craig apparently didn't like it. Mm. It's very demanding. So I think that there's some of that, like just didn't want to be typecast, wanted to try new things.
0: I uh, will say about Mr. Wint and Mr. Kidd, the two kind of henchmen from Diamonds Are Forever. When I was trying to get Gallows and Anderson to come to AEW, and they originally we were supposed to be in the inner circle before they resigned with WWE. And I told them, I said, dude, you guys got to watch Diamonds Are Forever and look at Mr. Wint and Mr. Kidd. These two guys are you two guys. You guys play these two characters in this faction. It's going to get over huge. And Don, you know them. I think it would have worked. It would have worked great.
2: And it's interesting you mentioned about the wrestling thing. So when I came to AEW and I was wearing the pink sunglasses – I remember Jericho saying to me, oh, it's, um, oh, what's the show with the Blacklist. TV show? No, it was Max Zorin. That's where I got yeah. that from. Uh, because I always thought Max Zorin <laughs> was a great Bond villain in a horrible film. And I'm like, there's something creepy about sunglasses where you can still see the eyes. And I thought that uh, Max Zorin was great. Was Moonraker? Like, was
0: Zorin and Moonraker?
2: Do you, do a do a, kill you do a, kill? Do 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 a kill? kill. Yeah, with Grace Jones. That's right. And, it was Christopher uh, for walking, yeah. 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 But but I always thought as a wrestling heel, I would go like what I wanted. And I remember when I got my suits tailored for AEW, I said, I want them to be nice suits, but I want them to be something just a little off in the tailoring. And mm-hmm. I'd be like, like a Bond villain. Like there's something like there's one extra button or there's a <laughs> Mandarin collar on the shirt. There's something just a little blowfeld about it. So we all steal, I think, from kind of what we see And uh, I think uh, Mr. Wint and Mr. Kid would have been money. We should still do that. (laughs) We should still probably find some guys.
0: (laughs) Gosh, there's so much to discuss here. But as we go from Connery into Roger Moore, different type of vibe. Like Don said earlier, he's not as, as hard. He's not as tough. It becomes more of a comedy type vibe. But once again, not for the first couple films. Live and and Let Die is not really like that, man, with the golden gun, not quite. And then it gets to Moonraker and For Your Eyes Only, and and then it's becoming almost these 80s Schwarzenegger films where there's one-liners and there's ridiculous set pieces and villains and gadgets and all this sort of thing. What's kind of the the overall history on his involvement, Mike, and and how how he got into the the system?
1: So... They, they'd originally approached Moore before they cast Lazenby when Connery was first. It's interesting. If you want to know who the next Bond is going to be, look at who they talked to earlier and couldn't do it. Right. Uh, it was true with Timothy Dalton. It's true with Roger Moore. I feel like they went in a different direction. When we're talking about George Lazenby, the points are valid. Like he was really trying to be Sean Connery. He was doing his best to appear to be Sean Connery. With Moore, they actually have a new actor, somebody who can act. It changes the tone of the film. Right. I think in the 70s, they also got into the habit of trying to copy and mimic what was going on in other films. Mm. So like Man with a Golden Gun has some Kung Fu stuff because that was really popular in the 70s. You know, in the Good 70s. Call. The Cannonball Run stuff, which by the way, might be Roger Moore's best performance. Yeah. You know, As yeah.
0: Bond.
2: Yeah. He <laughs> Bond. i, I you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Roger Moore. <laughs>
1: Brilliant. Like I'd take yeah, that over great. some of his Bond films. I've kind of softened on more over the years. I never really liked more and I have some friends who just love more. And so Mm. seeing it through their, their eyes, I'm kind of like, okay, I can see, I can see why you gravitate towards that, but definitely changes the tone of the films. Um,
0: And I I like more because once again, this is when I'm in as a teenager going to the movies. That's almost my bond at the time because the Sean Connery you're watching, you know, from the past, but right now, you know, it's like it's like being an ACDC fan and knowing Brian Johnson, but hearing Bond Scott, you love Bond Scott, but you never saw him live because he was gone by the time I got an ACDC. What
3: are your opinions on Moore, Brad? I mean, I think Roger Moore uh, has some really, really classic Bond movies. He's got classic Bond gadgets. I think that. Yeah, he was a little silly, but like Mike said, they were parodying things that happened at the time, which is actually something that Bond always does. Whatever's popular at the time, they're like, how can we fit it into the movie? Even going to his first film, Live and Let Die, was a black exploitation film. You know, and that was popular in the 70s. The interesting thing is they saw Roger Moore on the show The Saint, and he was actually older than Sean Connery when he started Bond. He was an older guy older than Sean was for Live and Let Die, and then he went into his late 50s. I think he was 58 uh in View to a Kill. I think, though, it needed to change. As Don mentioned with eras of wrestling, How there's always a change. In the 90s, it was very edgy in attitude. And then you kind of go into cleaning it up a little bit with the Cena era and ruthless aggression. Then you kind of come full circle with the with, uh, PG era. And then AEW's taking it another way, a little bit more edgy. I think with every Bond change, there has to be a, a distinct, discernible difference that separates you from the guy before. I think Roger Moore, he, he did what was handed to him this is what they wrote for him. This is the movies that they wanted to make. I think that if he wanted to make a a harder Bond, perhaps he could. But this is also a guy who said he blinked every time a gun went off. You know, He wasn't the the hardcore killer that Sean Connery was. Um, He wasn't that kind of a guy. You needed to kind of tailor the films around his sensibilities. And Roger Moore, really funny as Bond. And sure, there are silly things like uh, a snake charmer playing the tune to 007 and a pigeon double taking and <laughs> villains being blown up like balloons in, in, live, and let, in live and Let Die. Well, let's just
0: explain that one because that's on my list of things. I think it's Jaffa Cotto, right, uh, who later on is an alien. But uh there's a there's a shark in the indoor kind of swimming pool, brook river area and Bond and him topple into the pool and Bond puts a air canister into his mouth <laughs> and then makes him swallow it, which makes him expand into like the freaking uh, Stay puff Marshmallow Man. He pops out of the
3: water and hits the ceiling and explodes. Yeah. The end. As you do. <laughs> so, I think they needed a change from Connery. You didn't want to make the same film over and over again because then audiences, I mean, what's the appeal there? I think though, after Moonraker, they definitely brought it back down in tone a little bit. For for your eyes only, yeah. which is a really really good James Bond. It was actually that was supposed to be Roger Moore's last Bond movie. They actually offered the role to James Brolin, really, Josh Brolin's dad. Yeah, an American was going to play Bond. And then when they found out Never Say Never Again was being made, Cubby Broccoli went to Roger Moore and said, "I need you for Octopussy. Like I need Bond to go against Bond. I can't start with a new guy." And that's why Roger Moore even came back to the franchise.
0: What are they doing it with Octopussy? You know the double entendres in the Bond movies are great, but this is just one. that's like you know, might as well call James Bond in the big dick.
2: What is what is an Octopussy, Don? Pretty on the nose. When we talk when we talk about them mimicking what was going on, but I don't remember which film it was, but there was the one with the sheriff. Was that a Jackie Gleason rip-off? Was that yes. right after Smokey and the band? <laughs> I think so. I like think that, so. I have I even thought it was Jack. I thought it was the same actor for years. And I'm like, hey, it's not, but it's just this really bad rip-off. Well, and
1: he pops up in two. He's in Live and Let Die, and he's and then he's in yep. Man with the Golden Gun. I don't know. Yep. Yeah, like we needed so, more sh- more sheriff.
0: So what was your opinion, Brad? When it cause I think we all can tell when it's time for a switch. It's almost like you can relate everything to wrestling. We're all wrestling fans here. Back in the territorial days, or even in the on national TV, sometimes you got to pull yourself back. Like overexposed, this is just getting to be, like you said, a parody of, of themselves. Obviously, it's time for for more to go. Timothy Dalton, interesting choice. I knew him because he was in Flash Gordon, where he played kind of the dashing prince. Once again, from a look standpoint, he nails it. From a performance standpoint, and even from a movie standpoint, I can't even tell you. A Timothy Dalton movie. I know them, but I don't know them. It was kind of almost a, a downtime. It seems was that was that a downtime for the Bond
3: franchise? I think so. They're my least favorite of all the Bond movies, personally. Timothy Dalton is originally uh, like Mike was talking about. They wanted Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, and Pierce Brosnan was doing Remington Steel at the time. And it had gotten canceled. They had a I think they had like thirty days to shop the show, and on day thirty, when literally he had already taken the press photos was going to go to the press conference to announce he was the next James Bond, they called him and said, hey, we picked up the show. And so he couldn't do James Bond anymore. So then they went to Timothy Dalton. And I think it was too much of a course correction. Yeah, I think it's like, okay, we've been silly. We need to pull back a little bit, make it a little more serious. And then they went all the way left with it. It was very dark. Very hard, a lot of blood, feeding Felix to a shark, and seeing all those things. I think it's just, it was an overcorrection. I think it was a necessary correction. I just, I think they overshot it.
2: Don, what do you think? I I mean, Timothy Dalton, I think, is a fine actor. You know, to me, it's like, I looked at him, and I mean, I'll date myself. To me, he looked like Larry Dallas on Three's Company. (laughs) I had a hard time with that. But, uh, But no, I mean, I think maybe a different actor, more of a Daniel Craig, who was more believable physically, could have handled that course correction better. I guess it's a bit like Vince McMahon with wrestlers, right? If they're not a certain size or build, he has a hard time taking them seriously. I had a hard time with... Moore, Dalton, and with Pierce Brosnan, hmm. taking them seriously as a physical threat. Because to me, they just didn't they just didn't carry themselves that way. Daniel Craig has that. There's other things I think he doesn't have. But he has that. Connery had that and many other oh. things. Timothy Dalton, I think, there was just something really missing. I mean, the, the Moore films, for sure, I think you wanted to go a different direction. And then I think they kind of went with the Swiss Army knife of Pierce Brosnan, where it's like, He's a 6 out of 10 in everything, but he's not an 8 or a 9 out of 10 in anything. And and he had some real stinkers as well that he had to deal with. I think the only film of his that I liked was GoldenEye. And mm-hmm. GoldenEye is problematic for many reasons, but I, I think it was more just like, ah, we saved the franchise. There was that feeling when GoldenEye came out, but then his subsequent films were, were very poor, I think.
1: They got really into the special effects and really into the -the out-of-the-world gadgets,
3: and it just – it didn't work um, anymore. How many movies did he do? He did four. He did Goldeneye, Tomorrow Never Dies, World Is Not Enough, and Die Another Day. It definitely got a little – again, almost what would happen with Moore. I think – I like – look, like you said, Jericho, with with, with Roger Moore was your bond growing up. Growing up, Pierce was my bond. He was the guy who's the first one I saw – Die Another Day was the first one I saw in theaters, and so i always have like this affinity toward him even though i know he's not the best i still like him i think that he is a very kind of like what don said he was a little too pretty for james bond where you didn't see him as a physical threat i think and then toward the end of the movies look, I love Denise Richards, but I don't know if she's a nuclear physicist. Terrible. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Horrible. Yeah. That's some started, of the worst uh,
2: acting, and that covers a lot of ground. That,
3: that uh, is one of
0: the best yeah. lines, though, when at the end of the movie he goes, I th- I'm going to paraphrase it, I'm going to prove that Christmas comes more than once a once year. Once a year, yeah. Because her name was Dr. Christmas <laughs> Jones.
1: Oh.
3: They had a lot of a lot of bad one-liners. My favorite bad one-liner from the Pierce era is he's uh, he's like at Oxford or something. He's making out with some blonde, and uh, she was like the French professor. And Money Penny calls him, and he's like, "Oh, I'm just brushing up on my French." And then she goes, "Well, you've always been a cunning linguist."
2: And you know, it's like, "Oh my god, like, what are a lot we doing of here?" We've that line. Yeah, um, <laughs> interesting. That the the one-liners are very corny. I just read something that you guys will know, of course. I heard that the first time that Sean Connery had to say Bond, James Bond, his co-star gave him a few drinks before because he just couldn't get comfortable doing it. And of course, Mm. it became this iconic line. Sure. The other one that was neat for me, and I think it was it was in The World Is Not Enough, when he's being tortured. And the actress, the the bad girl actress, I can't remember her name. She was a model in France. Uh, Sophie. Sophie, oh, Sophie Marceau, Marceau. Sophie Marceau says to me, I'll give you the world. And he goes, the world is not enough. And then she said, that's ridiculous. And he goes, family motto. Well, what I found out was that the Bond family crest, if you go on genealogy.com, is non sufficient orbis or something like that yep. which means the world is not no, enough it's no. legitimately <laughs> yeah. for that name the family motto oh, and they will cool. into the film really? so that's actually neat
0: now you mentioned Daniel Craig and he comes in now this is when the, the, the franchise goes to a billion dollar franchise I'm sure those other ones were moving plus the, the whole movie business as a whole went to that way but now you have Bond almost becoming as big as a marvel movie shall we say and the top four bond grossing movies are the are the four well probably five now with, with with no time to die what is able to take that to the next step because it seems we've got the the, the connery is cool then Moore is in then it kind of goes down then pierce bring it up what was it about the daniel craig franchise that really took it to this multi-billion dollar uh business
1: they made a really bold decision to reboot the series which they'd never done before the conceit of the bond movies is like, it's the same character. Just, you know, it doesn't matter about the timeline timeline updates, but it's the same character more adventures in his life. This, they, they completely disregard the past. It looked like they were going Mm. to actually shoehorn it into the beginning of the Connery era with, with Skyfall in particular. If we're not afraid of spoiling a six month old movie now, They kill him in the movie. (laughs) They kill him in the movie. At the end of No Time to Die, Bond dies, and we can discuss that. So this is like, they've never done anything like this. So I I think Breaking with the Past, rebooting the series, allowing new people to come in because it's new, really did a great job in terms of marketability and accessibility for fans. What
3: do you think, Brad? Yeah, and I think that we're were also in a time where blockbuster films are making more money than ever, especially if they're very quality Uh, You saw that with all the Marvel films and Star Wars coming back. And I think for Daniel Craig, he was just the perfect kind of guy. He had the coldness of Sean Connery, but also he has humor that Roger Moore has. He has that tough factor that, that Don was alluding to that you need from a Bond. Like when he kills somebody, you believe that this guy could kill somebody. And they just went Again, for that course correction, but this time they did it the right way. Whereas Pierce Brosnan was kite surfing tsunamis and giant ice castles in (laughs) Die Another Day, (laughs) battling a villain who has diamonds in his face. This time they tried to bring it down to now it's a it's a villain who's selling arms, and you've got to win it in a you got to beat him in a poker game. The stakes, although they're big, they they can't. There's so much great tension in the movie, and we got to see how he kind of became who he became in the very in the opening uh cold opening right for casino royale we see him become a double o get his two kills in order to become a, a licensed to kill double o agent and you get to follow mm. him through that and even that opening parkour chase uh where he's chasing the bad guy and the bad guy's doing all these crazy jumps and flips and daniel craig just goes straight through the wall right straight through the drywall to chase him down that was really such a great introduction to what we were going to get which was a very serious grounded bond and Daniel Craig, really, he just hit it out of the park. He, he nails it on Casino Royale. I think not all of his movies are great, but that one in particular was a great introduction for the character.
1: Well, and I wonder, it's, uh, Casino Royale is a property of Ian Fleming. It was the first James Bond novel, and it was not mm-hmm. part of the original package when they bought the rights to James Bond because it had been mm-hmm. made as a 1954 TV movie. Uh, the yeah. first James Bond for trivia buffs is actually a guy named Barry Nelson. He played <laughs> Jimmy Bond, he an American Jimmy version. <laughs> uh, it's an awful film. You can find it on YouTube. Not worth the effort at all. But when they exhausted the the, the Fleming franchise, that's when they kind of got crazy with all the special effects and gadgets and stuff like that. So going back and, and actually reacquiring the rights to the first one. So it's grounded in the type of story that it came from, the, the, the literary tradition. It's a bond that's closer to the the literary bond. He's a he's more of a thug. Definitely believe you do not want to meet right. this guy in a dark alley. I think that helps too.
0: But let me ask you this, Don. You mentioned that that Craig had some of those things, but other things that that Sean had, he didn't. What, what do you
2: What do you think about that? Well, I, I like. Daniel Craig would be my second favorite Bond. I had Casino Royale as my number three behind from Russia with Love and Goldfinger. I really like that film. I like it more than Skyfall. I don't like his his other films at all. But Daniel Craig has those things. What Sean Connery had, I mean, look, everyone who plays Bond is handsome. Uh, Sean Connery was, in my opinion, like just looking at him, he's a stunningly good looking guy Yeah, uh, with – Eyes that while he was this hard, mean guy, he had these like doe-like eyes that like would make someone melt. And he just had a swagger, a natural swagger about him and a sexiness, I guess, as Bond Mm -hmm. that I don't think Daniel Craig pulls off Mm -hmm. in near the same way. Daniel Craig is not as good looking. Sean Connery was a, I think, a Mr. Scotlander or or he's a competitive bodybuilder. And if you look at his physique, we're talking the 60s now before you know Daniel Craig gets ready for these movies. He's got a nutritionist, he's got supplements of whatever. Sean Connery walked into that movie, probably not doing any training. He's got the squared-off pecs, he looks great. He was an athlete. Mm-hmm. So to me, Connery had that hardness, but he also had that little je ne sais quoi that you just go, Oh my God, this guy's just got it, you right. know, in a way that I think Daniel Craig doesn't. But that doesn't mean Daniel Craig's bad. It just means I think Connery was incredibly special.
1: He's not as charming.
2: Yeah. No, and I agree with Don, the physical appearance
3: of him. I, I was showing my fiance the Bond movies for the first time. She'd never seen one. And we started watching them in order about maybe two months ago. And we're watching Dr. No, and I just turned to her about 15 minutes in. I'm like, so what do you think? She goes, he's hot. (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah, you right. know, i mean that's kind of the appeal he is he was what every man wanted to be and what every woman wanted to be with at the time and, and that's really a, a, a really key factor in what makes a great bond
0: well i want to say too and, and i want to talk about the bond girls next but in between that i like the fact that when we started getting later on into the series especially with like you mentioned the reboot that the, the roles changed like m became you know judy dench it's not it's not a guy it's a girl. Q, fi- Desmond Llewellyn was like 90 by his last few movies and like every Bond is younger and he's old and they finally bring in John Cleese which was great and then in the new one they have a younger guy it's the same character but just played by different actors and I, I like that because just because Bond changes every time then that, then I feel that some of the other guys and girls should money penny and everything like that so we got that as well which was, which was much necessary and needed. Let's talk about the Bond women, some of your favorites that stand out for you Cause there's so many. I mean, Bond definitely, uh, had a great collection of chicks, shall we say. And it's also funny too, to see the difference how it is in the sixties and now in 2021. I was watching some highlights last night. And he's just like, Sean Curry just walks by some chick and just
3: slaps her on the ass. Like, boom. Yeah. <laughs> like, you try <laughs> that kind of, nowadays. You, it's you're not, not gonna, go. It's not gonna yeah, go He literally that was in goldfinger he smacks her on the ass and says man talk and like shoves <laughs> her away you know what i mean like, like you could never you can never do, do that. that
0: but yet they still get away with bond being still this lothario and then all that sort of thing they've just changed it to where the chicks are outsmarting him at times and they're just as uh lothario-esque as as he is uh don who are some of your favorite bond girls
2: or, or that stand out for you they're they're never the focus for me. The focus was always either on Bond or the villain, because so right. frequently I'd be very disappointed in what the villain and how they were portrayed. And I would always gravitate towards those characters. Just to, it depends how we can say the Bond women. I mean, I thought Judy Dench was a master stroke bringing her in. Uh, yeah. The original Money Penny, I thought was great. Oh yeah, the new one is uh, yeah. the, the new one, one is was okay. Maxwell. Um, oh, it was Maxwell. I, think I think she was Canadian. It, yes, she was. Yep. Right on, yep. <laughs> I think that in, uh, I did not like actually the actress who played Tracy in On Her Majesty's Secret Service. I just, it wasn't, wasn't her, wasn't her acting. I just didn't like, wow. I don't know, the presentation is like, okay, of all of them, this is who he's yeah. falling for. Like I couldn't buy it. Um, I think my favorite heel though, would have been on a top just because. Yeah. It was like such a cool look and it was somehow it was the campiness of the Roger Moore films with Grace Jones, mm. but kind of done better. Like Grace Jones swallowed too much scenery for me in in the scenes and took too much limelight away. So, but I would say original money penny or Judy Detch for me. Wow. All
3: right. How about you, Brad? I mean, when it comes to the Bond women, there's several that come to mind, but none of them top Ursula Andress as Honey Rider. In Dr. No. Famous. When she walks out of the out of the water with the knife on her side and the, the orange bikini that was then done again in Die Another Day with Halle Berry, who, again, is just a physical specimen in that film. That's Jinx Johnson, I believe was her name. But I, I love Honey Ryder. I like Vesper Lind, who's played by Eva Green in Casino Royale. Such a pivotal character for Bond. And that was, I think what you were saying, Chris, that was when I felt like they made the Bond women his intellectual either equals or superior. Right. She has that line about, you know, how she measured him for a suit or something. And she's like, I'm gonna keep my eyes on the money and off your perfectly formed ass. Uh, (laughs) That's what she said to Daniel Craig. Right. And it was like role reversal. It's like, now she's the one almost womanizing him in a way. And then, um, to me, though, you can't talk about Bond women without talking about Pussy Galore. Of course. And Honor Blackman. Another amazing name. <laughs> Best bad Bond name ever. <laughs> the, the, the line where he says, uh, where she, you know, he wakes up and she says, my name is Pussy Galore. And he goes, I must be dreaming, right? <laughs> that was an improv by Sean Connery. The original line in the script, according to what I've read, was, she says, my name is Pussy Galore. And he goes... I can see that, but what's your name? <laughs> that was going to be the original line. So I must be dreaming way better. But I think that, that those are the ones that come to my mind, and Naomi Harris, who's the new Eve Moneypenny. I think she did such a great job. Again, we see her origin story and how she becomes Bond's confidant more than just the secretary that he flirts with behind the desk.
2: Was there one called Plenty O'Toole, or was that yep. – Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's in diamonds are, yeah. are forever. No, that's yeah, so, the one. Oh my god! Yeah, that's. Your father a, must be very proud, or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah.
3: I think. No, I think she comes up. Marilyn. Yeah, yeah. And she says, "I'm plenty." And he goes, "But of course you are." You know? <laughs> <laughs> but that was a Lana Wood. That's Natalie Wood's yes. sister.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I, oh my goodness! I love. Um, first of all, Barbara Bach to me. Oh is, yes. yes. I, <laughs> Anya Amasova, oh, who she's mm. instantly Ringo Starr's wife, mm-hmm. which is one of the only reasons why I hate Ringo Starr. You son of a bitch! <laughs> No man I, I love she uh, might be English. the hottest bond girl maybe may the hottest bond girl i'll tell you what no time to die paloma anya de Armas, i think that dress that she had on i don't know how they had that thing like not open but i was like that chick is hot i like the other girl that ended up being you know his his, his baby mama or whatever but it's like i want to see more of that girl she was over the top Smoking. for me
1: so, they could have completely yeah. cut that sequence out. There was no reason to have that in the movie, but I am so glad it's there. She That's was the, the reason. best thing in the film. <laughs> That's the best thing in the film.
3: She was the reason. Like, you know, in my book, we actually talk about like, the top 10 Bond uh, women and she made a list just for that one scene alone. I mean, I can't think of a better-
1: Brilliant. Yeah. i throw in Michelle Yeoh uh, from the Brosnan yeah. era just because Michelle Yeoh is amazing physically. Like, I mean, she she went toe-to-toe with Jackie Chan in Super Cop, but right. you know, I thought she really, you know, really- Interesting character, and there's always talk about these women. Uh, they they thought they talked about it with Halle Berry that they're going to do a spinoff, and they never do. Mm-hmm. They're going yeah. to
0: Jinx spinoff, and she took Jinx? Catwoman yeah. instead. Yeah. I always like to just from just from being just the buxom kind of Anne Margaret-esque as Jill Saint John and Diamonds Are Forever. Oh, I just Tiffany love, Case. I just yeah. yeah Tiffany Case. But once again, like you said, you can't go wrong with any of the Bond the Bond chicks for sure. Dawn expect- Richards. Well, come on,
1: dude.
0: I mean, She's come a on, though. Physicist, <laughs> and she looks like a stripper. It's amazing. It reminds me <laughs> of both worlds.
1: I, I I've met the, some uh, nuclear physicists.
0: I did. did I did the date like game years ago, and I I won. And the girl that was the the date, she was this dyed blonde hair, super big lips, giant uh, boobs, and she was a Russian literature major. The date didn't work out. We couldn't make it work because it just scheduling wise. I was whatever. I finally get an email about two months later. When I had a fan site where people could, fans could send me emails, I said, Hey, Chris, your Russian literature major just jumped out of my brother's birthday cake. my brother's <laughs> <a> <laughs> cake at a swag party.
1: Well, as a PhD student, I had to take some bad jobs, but I'm <laughs> never jumping out of cakes.
0: Let's talk about some of the famous villains because there's some great ones. Don, uh, we mentioned before Red Reddington from Blacklist, but you said you more of a, of a
2: Max. Zorinth. Who's some of the other standouts for you? Well who what was the name of the actor? I always forget his name and plays back Chris, Zoran. Chris Walken. Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken. Yeah, he's a great heel. I really liked uh Le I liked Mr. White. I like the more subtle ones. I was actually very disappointed in the new Blofeld. Yeah. and He appeared in, I think two movies or or whatever, Mm -hmm. like inspector. And then the last one, like, I just thought what a disappointment. And I think what you don't want with a bond villain. And this was my problem with telly Savalas. It's kind of like when I go see a Tom Cruise movie, I sit there and even if it's really good, I'm going, I'm watching Tom Cruise. Right. And I don't want a bond villain that I recognize as the guy from this, the villain in Skyfall, whose name escapes me. Raul of course, Silva, famous actor. Raul Silva, famous actor, but so good that I got lost in that in the moment. I never did with the new Blowfeld. So for me, I think Raul Silva was great. I really like Donald Grant in uh, From Russia with Love. Mm. I mean, he was kind of like the low class very physical version of james bond who who comes to kill bond and from russia with love and they have a great fight scene on the train and and he's so petty by the way that that he actually is going to open up a case and try to get like a hundred bucks worth of gold coins and it's just it, to me it humanized <laughs> them as opposed to the guy in the wheelchair with the cat or whatever like so i think the more grounded ones are are generally for me at least the better ones brad yeah, I mean uh Zoran
3: is a favorite of mine. Also the groundedness of uh Christopher Lee's Francisco Scaramanga uh, yes. and the man with the golden gun who had the third nipple and uh <laughs> yeah.
2: you know, has the Pap- papaloma superfluous or whatever they there you yeah. go
3: <laughs> <laughs> I loved I loved him. You know, kind of villains and henchmen go together. So Jaws, I think from the Roger Moore era is very iconic. Yeah. Odd job is very iconic. Well, Goldfinger himself, yeah, for sure. Just the classic lines of, you know, no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. Yes. Them playing on the golf course, and Bond cheats him out of a game, and, you know, they bet <laughs> the gold bar on it. And um, the actor was actually dubbed over. Like, his entire performance was dubbed over by another voice actor or whatever. But still, they nail it completely with Goldfinger. And really, even Zorin is a takeoff of Goldfinger. Like even his whole plan of taking over the microchips in Silicon Valley is the same as taking over all the gold in Fort Knox. And and that way you're the only supplier of it. I I think there's there's been a lot of great ones. I do think Silva is a standout. That was Javier Barden, right? Javier Barden, yes. I mean, even the scene where there's that weird kind of sexual tension between him and Bond and that one scene that I think that they actually came up with together, him and Daniel Craig came up with that whole little bit. There was something so sinister about him. He was like the Joker uh, in a lot of ways where he just wanted to torment Bond the whole way through. And he actually had a real axe to grind. Like his backstory made sense. He was an MI6 agent. Then it went rogue. And I, I really loved him. And though you don't get better than like Oddjob and Goldfinger. Those are just the two top for me.
2: And Blofeld. I think the great, one of the great things, again, it's kind of like the Donald Grant thing. Goldfinger, I believe they start out. Isn't he cheating at gin rummy or something yeah. like that? Yeah, you gold, but you're cheating old guys in Miami. Out of yeah, a, a he's a heel, heel all across the like, board. Like you're a heel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I got to give a uh, honorable mention to uh Papa Samady or Baron Samady. Oh, Baron Samadhi, <laughs> Yes. Oh, who, who, the best. Who <laughs> ends up t- two things. Obviously, that's the antithesis for the uh, Papa Shango character in the WWE, but i like the fact that by the time i saw live and let die that that actor jeffrey holder was the guy in a very famous seven up commercial that had a a total catchphrase i can't remember what it was but every time i see him i just think this guy drinking seven up and going like only the bubbles or something (laughs) (laughs) so he did not get typecast as the uh baron Samity, he got typecast as the seven up guy (laughs)
3: <laughs> and and how I forgot to bring up by the way Jane Seymour at Solitaire and Live and Let Die. Oh my gosh, oh. amazing, amazing out of the park. And then Bond tricking her with the lovers' cards, and they're all the same card uh, in the deck. But yeah, Baron Samedi, really good. Knick knack was another good one.
0: Oh, knick knack, and that of course was uh, was Erve <laughs> Yeah,
1: <laughs>
0: Bond obviously famous for for the gadgets. I remember when I was a kid, my my cousin actually had an Aston Martin, a James Bond little Aston Martin toy car that came with all the gadgets the headlights would flip up and there was an ejector seat and there was like guns on the side of it uh, and you know watching it back it was exactly all of those things and of course they've now like don said gone to invisible cars and all this that and the other thing but what are some of the gadgets that stand out for you guys and brad you
3: wrote the book on it so give us some of the highlights that you can recall from from your writings there's a ton of of gadgets that are just great to me, I always kind of like some of the ones. It's like, is that really a gadget? Like, I think it's Goldfinger where he's diving with a, a fake duck on his head, right? Like the duck <laughs> diving suit. That, you know, and then he, then he get, takes the wetsuit off. And he's got this beautiful tuxedo. But the, but the Aston Martins, all the cars are always great. The watches are always great. I'm trying to remember if it was Live and Let Die where his watch was magnetic and he was able to unzip the girl's dress with his watch yes. without even touching it. A lot of those are great. The attache case from uh from russia with love that had the gold he had like gold bullion in it and a knife and if you turn the locks this way it explodes and it's just in the case there's 50 gold bullions in the back
0: <laughs> I, I like <laughs> the one with uh, with q desmond Welland. he's in a wheelchair with his leg in a cast and bond goes like what happened to your your leg and he's and he shoots a big <laughs> fucking missile out of the out of the cast into the wall
1: <laughs> those were always my favorite pack. when they were when they were in the q shop yes yes, yes. Just, this is too wacky for this movie but let's just enjoy it here
2: don you got any of that stick up for you I, i've never been a gadget guy but the for me the iconic thing and it's super corny is the odd job hat yes oh yeah, uh, yeah. And, and like like just ridiculous but also like just the one that in a world where I kind of go like, uh, I I don't get too excited about the gadgets. I like it when they downgrade the dad gadgets. I think it was in Skyfall. He just had a radio transmitter. I was like, yes, this is cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and same thing in From Russia with Love. Like the basics are so the tear gas canister. It's just mm-hmm. there magnetically. It's basic stuff. But yeah, the odd job hat thing is a, is a tremendous gimmick.
0: I also like the Rosa Klebb uh, spike that comes out of the boot. Obviously, the the once again, the antithesis <laughs> for for Frau Farbicina, uh in Austin Powers. It's so funny. If you watch Austin Powers, of course, we got it from the start. A lot of people didn't. It's such a mimicry of those first four or five movies. Everything is just a direct, blatant ripoff of it. So if you're a fan of Austin Powers and you haven't watched From Russia With Love, or diamonds are forever. Or live and let die. You gotta go check it out. Like even when he opens the door and there's a bunch of people fighting, and they just closes the door. That actually happens from my recollection in uh, You Only Live Twice. And by the way, Jeffrey Holder's big catchphrase was, "It's the Uncola." <laughs> Let's talk about some of the music. The themes, obviously, a very important part of the Bond movies right from the start is the opening credits, which really got cool and kind of very psychedelic with naked silhouettes of chicks and stuff. But the theme is so important. Very let down by Billie Eilish's newest theme. Went through a deep dive and listened to all of them. So I'm up to snuff on all that. Which ones kind of stand out for you? Because there are some great ones and there's some that are so-so. But uh it has become one of the of the of, you know the stalwart bond uh, uh tropes for sure.
1: Personally speaking, I gravitate towards the Duran Duran from the Living Daylight. Great,
0: yeah. No, no, it's from, from people. From View to a Kill.
1: No, no, to v- kill. Yeah, View to a kill. Sorry, I didn't know that. People forget how big Duran Duran was. Yes, um, they were huge, and when they got <clears throat> the bond, like that's a significant get, like you know, the move from the right. orchestral big, you know, Shirley Bassey stuff from the 60s. To have real, legit pop icons do that song. But that's- they did a great
0: job incorporating the Bond feel to it.
1: And a great video. Like, yeah. you know, at the end, Simon LeBond. Like, it just works so well.
2: <laughs> Bond, Simon LeBond. Yeah. Don? I mean, that's definitely one for me. I mean, uh, Duran Duran was the biggest band in the world at one point. People yeah. forget. And that's one of those ones. It's like you ask yourself the question how many Bond themes would i put on my playlist just to listen to like i listened to a view to a kill just because i like the song yeah. not because it was necessarily a bond song so i, I like that and, and live and let die for yeah. me is one that's yeah. kind of yeah. always that's a classic right yeah. yeah that's the epitome for sure view
1: to a kill was the only number one billboard bond song wow interesting, interesting.
0: I, I noticed too from uh when i noted when mccartney submitted live and let die uh, they were like, this is a great song. Who's going to sing it? Because they didn't think Paul McCartney would be able to pull it off. And here it is, once again, uh, From a View to a Kill might be the number one. Living Let Die is the one that we all know. Guns N' Roses recorded it. Lizzie Borden recorded it. Paul still plays it in stadiums to this day with the giant pyrotechnic uh, display. It, to me, is the epitome of the Bond theme. I will also throw in, uh, on the other side of the coin, a Goldfinger, Shirley Bassey, which that 60s just go, finger! And she actually rhymes it with old finger, which is amazing.
1: It's a bold, bold rhyme. And and then the
0: other one that I think kind of gets lost, which really fit to me in kind of a more modern way, was when Madonna did Die Another Day. It's a great catchy pop song, but she's got some shit to it where I can envision the opening credits and this being cool for a Bond movie. Those ones to
3: me are the ones that I enjoy the most. Brad? Brad? I like most of all of those. I think Nobody Does It Better by Carly Simon. Oh, classic. From the Spy Who Loved Me. is It's my favorite one. Diamonds Are Forever, another Shirley Bassey. Diamonds are forever. I mean, she just has that great Bond voice <laughs> that even you know, Kanye West sampled it for one of his big songs, Diamonds Are Forever. Um, live and Let Die You Said. I think that Broccoli may have had something against the Beatles. Because remember, there's the line in Goldfinger. What did you say? Like drinking Dom Perignon above thirty eight degrees is like listening to the Beatles without earmuffs. You know, it's like. like, (laughs) 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 And then then Paul McCartney ends up singing it. But one of my one of my favorite Bond songs was like an unofficial Bond song for Thunderball. Johnny Cash wrote and recorded a song called Thunderball that he submitted to the filmmakers because he wanted to do the next Bond song. They rejected Johnny Cash's Thunderball. That was – if you ever can find Thunderball, which is on – he put it on one of his albums from Johnny Cash. That was a really good one. I really like Skyfall from Adele, you know, which won the Oscar.
0: That's, that's got a Shirley Bassey type feel to it. Here's a little trivia for you guys. What's the only Bond movie where the singer of the theme appears in the opening credits?
3: The Madonna one. Uh, no, is it For Your Eyes Only?
0: Yeah, Sheena Easton. Oh,
1: yeah. right. Yeah, she's yeah. actually. Madonna in the Madonna credits. is in the movie.
0: Yes, but not in the opening credits singing the song. Exactly. exactly. Fencing <laughs> instructor. Oh, <laughs> very <nice>. believable.
2: <laughs> so Jer- we- Jericho, I have a request. The next time I'm at a Fozzie concert, <laughs> can you cover Goldfinger? Because I would love to hear that. <laughs> be- we
0: can't, but we will, however, do Shirley's third Bond theme for Moonraker. There you go. Oh, very which good, to, even better. Which, which to me goes like this, Moan Reka! <laughs> <laughs> As we start to wind down here, we get to our top ten list, which uh, Don with this famous quote, this list is... F-. This is a combination of all of ours. There had to be at least two, some of them are three, uh, and one of them even had actually four. All of us were on that. and I'll read them out and then we can kind of discuss. So it's, it's Casino Royale, the 2006... Not the David Niven Casino Royale, which we didn't discuss, nor should we. Goldfinger, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, Dr. No, The Spy Who Loved Me, Diamonds Are Forever, Golden Eye, No Time to Die, For Your Eyes Only, and Skyfall.
2: Don, why do you think that list is? I don't know how you have a top five. Some of this also goes, of course, we're all skewed by which bond we grew up on and which bond we like. So I am very reticent. I, w- I gave you a top seven. And I said, that's it. I can't come up with any more. And so I'm very reticent to include a Roger Moore film. So I just don't like Roger Moore's Bond. So I think we're all skewed by that. My top three were From Russia With Love, Goldfinger, and Casino Royale. I don't know how you have a top 10 without From Russia With Love on it. I don't know how you include any of the other Connery films other than Goldfinger and you don't include from Russia with love. So I don't get that. I will fully admit that after number six or seven, I really struggled to put like, I put gold on there. I'm like, well, the movie's not great, but I liked it. Cause it came out for me, whatever. So mm-hmm. there were some ones on there on the consolidated list. And I'm like, does this mean the three of you all think these are top 10 movies? I didn't understand. <laughs> what do you think Brad?
3: Look, I obviously I think nine of the ten of these movies were were ones that that I really really liked a lot. I, I see what Don's saying about From Russia with Love. It's just if I, I was trying to also, I'm like, let me get some with Connery, let me get some with with Roger Moore, let me get Pierce in there. I think I put everyone but Dalton on the list. I think though, Casino Royale, it's number one on our consolidated list, and it was number one on mine just because again, just hit. It had everything that you wanted from a Bond film, but Goldfinger has to be up there. Daniel Craig, like I said, I don't think that Spectre or Quantum were very good, but I really like Skyfall a lot, Uh, even though the last third of the movie is essentially the plot to Home Alone, where he's trapped in a house with (laughs) gadgets and and booby traps. I I really like the movie. And also, his his helper, his Scottish, I guess, butler, or however you would say it, the guy's named Kincaid, Mm -hmm. that part was written for Sean Connery, and then they thought... It would take people out of the movie as soon as they saw him, which was probably 100% correct. I agree with that. I just think that you can't do a top 10 list or a top 5 or even a top 3 without Goldfinger. Goldfinger set the standard for what a Bond movie is. Does it have the catchy tune? Does it have the the hot girl? Does it have the cool car? Does it have an iconic villain, henchman? What does the opening credits look like? And that was really the first time. Iconic death. Iconic death. Kevin Shirley Eaton getting uh,
0: painted. i never forget this too because I researched it when I was a kid. Could you die from being painted? And you
2: could because they said that you could. You have to leave a little space open at the bottom of your back. But they would have to cover up your mouth and nose because we actually breathe through
1: the time. Technically, that true. it's true. Technically
2: <laughs> speaking, it's true. You'd have to you'd have or to, to play you could along. Just use use a plastic bag and save the paint. You know?
1: <laughs> Chris was at his grandparents' house afraid of paint. That's
0: right. I was afraid of the string with the poison on it, man. <laughs> what do you think, Mike?
1: Uh, like Dawn, from Russia with Love is my number one. It's been my favorite since I really started understanding what the Bond films are. I just think like Doctor No gets most things. It gets the Bond girl. It gets some, you know some of the stuff right. From Russia with Love hits it. Like everything's just perfect in that film.
2: I think. The two of the four of us had that as number one. even make the top ten. Jared, maybe
0: I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was what me. What kind of there.
2: algorithm did you use?
0: K-fake. Hold on.
2: Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so my my, my, was child, my kickback ch- from the four. <laughs>
0: my childhood knowledge just crushed. got crushed today. You can't kill someone by painting a body with gold. You can't die of skin suffocation. Um, but you
1: yeah. can die of somebody dropping poison down a string into your mouth. <laughs> P- you see, that would work. Can. If you, if you yes. ate the
2: poison, you could. Yeah. I so want to sneak into your hotel room on the next AEW loop and put a string from the ceiling in <laughs> your face while you're sleeping. Dude, I will oh. take
0: my foot in a cast and shoot a missile through your head. <laughs> last couple things here. We're talking about No Time to Die. Uh, I like the movie. I like the fact that they did something completely different, which we talked about earlier, and they killed James Bond. It was a very noble death. Uh, It was his only way out. Spoiler alert, he couldn't see his family because if he sees them, they die instantly from this genetic, basically poison that's in his system that will be connected with anybody that's in his same genetic code or whatever. What happens with Bond now? Why do they kill him when we're assuming they're going to bring him back or do they just go prequels now or what happens next?
2: There's something that you guys had mentioned about what they mirror what goes on. So LeShif shorted airline stocks a few years after nine-eleven. Now we have this smart blood at a time when people are getting vaccinated. Right. It, it's a very odd thing to me. I think that I don't know where they go from there. They've shown that they can reboot. The more interesting question for me is who's next? And I mean that's yeah. That's a subject I a of worldwide debate. And, and I hope it's not the guy who played Superman. It generally hasn't it's been the, the really obvious guys, right? I'll so. tell you who
0: it's going to be right now. I'll tell you right now who it's going to be. Please,
2: tell us. Dwayne Johnson.
0: Oh, you think? God. Well, that's the end. <laughs> <laughs> he famous. wants it. It fits all the profiles, though. The only thing is he's not British. He that's, he's but,
2: too I mean, famous. See, from a
0: diverse standpoint, from a, a, a looks like he could kick somebodys ass standpoint, from a big box office standpoint, I think the next James Bond is going to be an African-American. I just see the way that the world is right now. And listen, Felix Leiter's been white. He's been black. He's died. He's brought back. He said he got eaten by a shark. He drowned in this one. What's the difference? M has been a man. M has been a woman. Q has been old British guys and young Americans now. So why not? I I think so.
1: Idris Elba was named as somebody, you know, potentially when Daniel Craig, I think he's too old now, but... Watch British TV, and if there's somebody interesting, there's a chance that they're probably on the
3: list. So how do they bring them back, though? What do they do, Brad? Again... Before, Bond was never connected to really the movie before. I mean, there was some loose continuity. With the Daniel Craig's, they were so distinct, it had a beginning, middle, and end to his story arc. Right. So I think that you're just starting with another Bond. And I I wouldn't want to see another origin story or anything like that. Almost do it like they did the new Spider-Man series, where where he's already Spider-Man. We don't know how he started. We don't know when he got bit by the spider. He's already Spider-Man, and he's in it. I would like to see somebody who's just completely unknown same way Conry or Lazenby were, or even have like a little bit of notoriety, even though Roger Moore was on a very popular show, he wasn't a, a mainstream movie star. Go somewhere like that. Give me somebody who I don't see as, hey, look, it's The Rock. You know, I, w- I want to see somebody who is completely different, whether they're black, white, Asian, or, or what have you. I think my only qualification is you need to be British of some kind.
2: I had read that Adam West was originally a potential james bond the guy who played batman in the 70s you kind of look back i had heard someone talked about burt reynolds i mean Mm -hmm. these people are in my opinion this is the it's too famous not british enough beyond Mm -hmm. that i think go any way you want
0: yeah yeah it's pretty much a character that can just uh, resurrect whenever
3: yeah you don't need to have a an illogical way of how he got out of being dead it's just Hey, this is a new Bond. Almost like they do Batman, too, you know? Yeah, I, I think I
1: think with the Marvel films, the idea of the multiverse is really in people's minds, and we just accept that this is a different storyline. I, I actually waited, sitting in the theater, waiting with my hand on my heart. My my wife thought I was having a heart attack. Whether the James Bond will return comes up at the end of the of the film, and it did, and I was like, okay. Oh, it did come up. There it did know. come up, and it, interesting, it said James Bond, not 007, which, you know, people are like, oh, it's a code name, and we'll just give it a... I don't think you need to worry about any of that stuff. They'll just start the films up again with somebody new. Obviously, they need a whole new cast because Mm -hmm. all of those, well, maybe bring Ray Fiennes back. They brought Judy Dench back. They'll start
0: again. I was on a plane from LA to Tampa and I started watching the movie with two hours and a half left. The movie's two hours and 45 minutes. So it was one of those ones where everyone's off the plane. I'm sitting there. Like, Sorry. I'm like, just give me five more minutes. I gotta see what happens. Did you so not know he died? End. Well, I knew he died, but I didn't know. I didn't see the James Bond will return. So, oh yeah. Uh, so, so la- la- last question for you guys, uh, and we- we've kind of mentioned it, but let's really clarify it.
3: Favorite Bond movie of all time, Brad? It's Casino Royale for, for all the, and I think it's an amalgamation of all the great things that made Bond what it was. They hit it in Casino Royale, and they did it to perfection. Great introduction of the character, and really, you know, you have the Aston Martin, you have him in a casino, which is always classic Bond. You know, the first time we saw him is in a casino, so it makes a lot of sense. Daniel Craig, the second greatest Bond of all time behind Sean Connery, but has the best Bond movie.
1: Mike uh, from Russia with Love.
0: Nice. Uh, I'll take Goldfinger, but I could also go with Skyfall. If you uh, twisted my
2: arm, Don. From Russia with love. I can understand choosing Goldfinger or Casino Royale as yep. well. I think they're close, but uh, I think it then becomes personal taste. But definitely from Russia with love. I think that's Connery at his best. All right, guys, great conversation here. We
0: probably could have gone another couple hours. We'll do a part two when the next Bond movie comes out. Next year is the sixty fifth
1: anniversary. So
0: wow. Well, we'll see what happens with that. And mark my words, Dwayne Johnson. That's my prediction. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Thank you.